And then on walking out, actually said to my manager, as I sat down, I stood straight back up and said, I'm so sorry. Actually, as I've said that, it just feels wrong. I, I need to go fully. Like, this is me going fully, not, not coming back. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. Today, I'm joined by Olivia Ferdy, the co-founder of Trip, the UK's fastest growing soft drinks brand and Europe's number one CBD brand, who are on a mission to share calm in everyday chaos. Originally a lawyer, Olivia was introduced to the effects of CBD when her husband and now co-founder Dan was recovering from knee surgery. Soon after, Olivia started incorporating CBD oils into her daily routine to eliminate the stresses of life in the city. Since then, she's transitioned from lawyer to founder and built an empire, selling Trips products into 20,000 plus stores and hospitality chains in the UK alone. I'm sure many of you will have sampled them. Olivia's been on an amazing journey with Trip, and I can't wait for you to find out more about her category-defining business and the lessons she's learned along the way. So Olivia, welcome to 40 Minute Mentor. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to have you here. I have very much tried Trip a number of times. I see it all over the place now. So this is really exciting for me. And I'm sure our listeners are too. So we're going to start you off with a few quickfire questions, as we always like to. So if you don't mind, please finish the following sentences after me. I grew up wanting to be. I grew up actually not wanting to be anything specific at all. I can tell you what my parents had me growing up wanting to be, which a mixed Asian household, pretty much doctor, lawyer, accountant, take your pick. (laughs) But I actually personally never grew up with kind of longer term thoughts or kind of strong specific ambitions about career but it was really not until university when it kind of all got real and you had to make some choices which felt quite alarming but no I never grew up wanting to be anything specific and certainly not entrepreneur I didn't have any sort of business founders in my life that kind of led me here so all very unexpected. No very similar to me actually in in that I didn't have any clear entrepreneurial people around me. But also as the son of an Indian father, I think there is that expectation, I think, at some point to go down a very specific path. But my dad was a bit of a rebel himself. He he studied law, became an accountant, and then very quickly left. So he didn't he didn't really have much to say to me. He became a teacher. So he was like, I'm not going to force this on you, this stereotype. (laughs) A misconception people have about me is I don't really I feel like you'd have to ask other people, I can't imagine what they're saying, <laughs> either to my face or behind my back. That one's really tricky. I think you'll have to get in a room, have a drink with some friends of mine and uh, really like push them for that one. It's an interesting one. Got me worrying now. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Well, at some point, if we ever can get you in a room with some friends, then uh, I'll, I'll sneakily ask them. If there was one thing that you could change about entrepreneurship, it would be... I wouldn't change a thing. I think that it is the most incredible journey. I've learned so much about myself, about my relationships, about people around me. I think misconceptions around that journey, perhaps. I think sort of being able to speak more openly, podcasts like this, kind of trying to 
give honest answers to people is definitely helpful. I think definitely over the last 10 years, there's a lot of kind of glamorization of, oh, you've got to work for a startup or you've got to go get loads of equity and you're going to be one in a, not even million, like billion lucky person. And I think the skills you learn in a startup environment are unmatched and I would encourage it amongst anyone at the right time of their life, personally, financially, what they can do. But I guess just the misconception around we get this a lot at trip, which is obviously a fun one as well, but kind of, oh my gosh, you guys are a total overnight success. And it's just amazing how connected all the little steps are. It's quite hard to kind of pull back and, and think of it like that when had I not had conversation X or had Dan not had accident Y and all these things come together. So it's it's definitely a journey. And I think people think it can be a lot cleaner and easier, but yeah. A hundred percent. That's such a great answer. And I guess that's one of the things we've always tried to do on this podcast is shine a light on some of the less glamorous, but really important steps in that journey. And I think if you are embarking on the entrepreneurial path, you know, it's not always glamorous and it, you know, there is luck involved and there's a lot of hard graft, but like you, I I wouldn't change it because I think you become a lot stronger and you learn so much from the, the challenging aspects of it, don't you? Brilliant. Thank you, Olivia. My biggest failure to date is... I find this one tricky because you're probably getting the vibe in general. I'm very non-committal on the answers and I love a big waffly qualifier. I think I'm really lucky to be surrounded by, well, from the early days, an incredible family, incredible support system, incredible privilege and and security. I went to um, university, got a graduate job, as we'll talk about the legal piece, like that has been I guess, a huge advantage in many ways. And I think with that, you're in these quite competitive environments, whether it's Cambridge or a law firm. And I think the perception around failure and the people around me who have built that resilience in me and kind of helped shape my understanding of what failure might be. I think my family and then also like university experience and learning things aren't linear and you know, you meet so many different people at that stage in your life. Often for the first time, for a lot of people, it's where you might meet many more people than in your local area and kind of understanding that life looks very different for a lot of people. And I think with that perspective comes kind of an understanding of, well, something that might feel like a setback or a failure and in inverted commas could be the greatest opportunity of your life. And I met a lot of people who, I guess, not like anyone gave me a speech about it, but I think sort of all these experiences added together really shaped my perception of failure and resilience as two kind of combined partners and being positive, which I wouldn't say is like my supernatural state. My husband is like insanely positive and I've learned so much from him. We met at university and yeah, I think it's the perspective piece and the people or systems you have around you to help you in a setback situation, if you want to call that failure or otherwise that mean I I personally don't can't really recall a failure I I can tell you unlimited number of times I was scared of failing and that's probably subject for a different podcast but in terms of a specific failure itself actually yeah I think it's it's all come down to kind of attitude and, and the systems and people you have around you to help you through reflecting on that that's a really interesting answer I guess you are reframing failure in a, in a different way to take the positives and learnings out of it, which is no bad thing, I think. I used to spend a lot of time reflecting on the mistakes I made and beating myself up about it. And I think now when I look back, a lot of the things that I've got wrong 
have really helped me <laughs> or have led to a pivot or have led to a something in our business has been super successful. So I think, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's all connected. All connected. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer in things happen for a reason and fear of failure actually is now I've verbalized it, actually probably a hugely dominant force in my life. I don't know if that's to do with our Asian parents or not, but I think that ability to kind of reset and go again is probably, yeah, big, big learning. Yeah. And a fundamental trait uh, for any entrepreneur. So thank you very much, Olivia. Great. I mean, already we've covered some interesting ground and I'm really excited to get into your story in a bit more detail. So you obviously have a background in law. You worked at a global law firm and then then legal counsel at Farfetch. Can you tell us just a little bit about your legal career? And I guess particularly how you ended up ultimately becoming attracted to the chaotic world of tech startups? Definitely. So I actually decided to go into law right in the last like few weeks of university. I absolutely loved academia. I loved studying. I thought I would be doing something in kind of um, international development or sort of human geography and did my dissertation in that space. Actually, an early exposure to tech did my dissertation around kind of mobile banking and technology in underdeveloped countries and what that can do for kind of social impact and things like that. But actually, when you get to your final year and you're applying for jobs, there's no kind of automatic job that just goes with that. And it all became quite overwhelming. And actually, a lot of my friends were going into law. And I don't know if you had exposure to law at university, but the budgets, they've always got these amazing fairs and freebies and parties and what it seemed to be was this incredible qualification where you could essentially delay committing to an avenue or decision through, you know, three, four years of law school. And then apparently there was this qualification period and then you specialize. I was like, oh my gosh, I can kick the can for like six years. I love so many different things. I don't want to have to commit. This feels way too premature. You could turn around. I remember saying to someone actually, you know, you could turn around and tell me in five years, I could be any of journalist, professor, international explorer, I would be up for any of these. So I thought it was great to get a qualification while you could be studying more, love studying. (laughs) And yeah, it just seemed like such a great option, basically, on uh, many fronts. So essentially applied for, they have these placements, joined a law, law firm that summer. And certain law firms, for anyone listening, if you apply to some of the bigger ones, and then a lot of the medium ones, they can sort of fund you through law school. And that was very exciting for me. You get to study for like a few hours a day. You get like seven months off to go on holiday. Uh, you do like a quick course and stuff. So yeah, I was pretty excited about that. Though law school was a real rude awakening for me, actually. I found that quite hard. I found it harder than university, which I didn't expect to. And from there, you do a couple of years at law school. You graduate, hopefully, into the law firm, joined a big city firm, Alan Overy, one of these magic circle firms, sort of a big, established international firm where you kind of get exposure to different elements of the business, qualified as a corporate lawyer after a couple of years. So corporate m is kind of often a big part of city law firms. I liked the idea of it because I thought it had the greatest breadth. Again, I said, which is the one that means I could maybe do anything after? And everyone kept saying corporate. So I was like, hey, that's the one I've got to do. So I never, to your first question, never grew up sort of saying, I want to be a lawyer in a law firm or in a Barristers Chambers doing X, Y, Z. It was much broader than that about how I might want to feel or who I might want to speak to every day, that kind of thing. So I had a great time there. And after a couple of years, having qualified, realized 
I wasn't necessarily getting to work with people as closely that I wanted to. I wanted to work with people that did lots of different things in a day and hadn't been facing the same issue for 10, 20, 30 years and started to make a list of who are the kind of companies or people I could work with that might think more dynamically or face different challenges more regularly and also be open to like a young, barely underqualified person who might want to come work for them. And I made this big list and thought, okay, well, who on that list is going to have any money to pay me and be up for hiring me? And it very much came down to tech at the time was very much where a lot of funding was going in and there was a lot of agile thinking and opportunity to be amidst a really high growth environment. I knew I wanted it to be really high growth. I wanted to be challenged and people to be coming up with different problems and different solutions regularly where reactive thinking, which is something that I think I developed quite strongly at university, would be perhaps more useful. I didn't feel it was necessarily the most useful thing in a law firm. In a law firm, at the time of my level of seniority, you know, the perfect thing was just being hyper-organized and being like relentlessly diligent and following loads of rules. And if you could essentially be a machine, that would be, or a robot, that would be like the perfect outcome. And that felt very distant from my inner strengths. Sounds like this has to change. But I thought, why not use the law thing and take that and, and make that useful for someone if I can? So the list of tech companies that was super high growth on for unicorn status in, in London at the time wasn't that long in terms of consumer facing. I wanted it to be consumer facing. And yeah, again, sort of serendipitous series of events. I ended up meeting the Farfetch team, pounded on their door, cold emails, pitched to them, said I would be useful, which, yeah, when I look back, it's quite interesting to think how punchy that was because I don't know if you know much about law, but often you choose an area and then you specialize and you sort of stick to a section and you grow your practice around that section, whether that be something like corporate or commercial or banking, whatever it might be. And Farfetch, being a fashion tech company, needed IP lawyers, so people to look after their intellectual property, their algorithms, their trademarks, their branding. And that was the sort of space available. And I said, I can do that. And typically in law, you do the exact practice. You've at least sat there for six months or been exposed to it. I'd never sat there, never read a book, never had anything, didn't do that at law school and was like, I'm telling you, I can figure it out. I'll work harder. I'll be better. I'll work at weekends. I'll catch up on whatever someone my age, which wasn't that senior, might need to know. And they said yes, which is cool. And I had an amazing four or five years there. Learned so much about startups, growth. Yeah, it was amazing. I absolutely loved it. Love it. And it is a very different setting a tech startup to a global law firm. So for any lawyers listening to this that are chomping at the bit to escape and go work in tech, any pointers or are there any things you wish you'd have prepared for differently before joining Farfetch? I don't think so. You learn a lot as you're there. I think in any situation, whether it's tech or any new career or any new job, be kind, be humble, listen. Because if you listen to what is a big issue for someone or what the prioritization is for the business, you can start to think through more proactively about how you can be helpful or how your work can relate to helping them with that bigger piece of the puzzle. And I think that awareness of what the people at the top might ultimately be worried about or thinking about is definitely really helpful, but it's very reactive. So, I mean, one thing I love about startups and high growth startups, and we say this a lot in our recruitment process, is like, yes, you might have what a lot of people deem a perfect CV. 
But actually, attitude and how you approach it is far more important because there is not a single CV that you can bring me from any role in trip now or in the future that has been done before. I'm like, show me someone who has sold CBD onto a shelf in a nationwide retailer that never took it before when the product didn't exist three years ago. And it's going to be next to beer and it's going to be next to Barocca. Show me someone that's done that. And then I'll highlight, like, no one's done that. So we're all doing something for the first time. So I think I'm a big believer in figure it out and there's no rule book. Definitely. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. But before we continue hearing from today's mentor, I wanted to take a minute to give a shout out to our series sponsors, Alchemist. Alchemist is an industry-leading learning and development company using immersive and interactive experiences to help increase employee engagement, levels of happiness and achievement across your teams and overall productivity. Alchemist presents L&D departments with an opportunity to innovate and be bold in their approaches to blended learning. If you love the sound of this as much as we do here at JBM, then head over to thisisalchemist.com forward slash 40 Minute Mentor to learn more. And now back to our 40 Minute Mentor. And you kind of ripped up the rule book to leave your law career behind, start Trip in 2019. So can you tell us a bit about the inspiration behind Trip and I guess how the product range has expanded over those years? Yeah, definitely. So again, kind of an unexpected thread. You mentioned the intro. It was my husband that had an accident that required knee surgery just before our wedding. And we were desperately looking at ways to help his recovery. And on being recommended CBD, not only seven weeks later was he managing to walk down the aisle, you know, crutches free, but dancing all weekend long. He's from a big Irish Lebanese family. So you can imagine like a very lively wedding, a lot of jumping, dancing, drinking, all the good stuff. And we were amazed that we could have that, you know, we thought we'd have to cancel the wedding. It was real disaster moment and we were blown away by seeing his experience and back in 2018 nobody was talking about CBD in in the UK or Europe we'd never heard of it didn't have any experience of it and actually it was only when we got back that we started reading like what is this thing okay it's all natural it's plant-based no side effects actually been around for thousands of years the hemp plant and we were we were amazed so it was from there that we kind of started to understand in certain areas where it had been used for more years, particularly in like the West Coast and East Coast of the US, people were using it while there were these incredible medical stories like ours, things from endometriosis to epilepsy to cancer treatments, like transformative experiences. The majority of people that used it regularly were using it as a daily kind of well-being supplement, typically for stress and anxiety. And for anyone listening that doesn't know CBD, essentially, it's a molecule that works with your body your body has a system. So CBD stands for cannabidiol. You have a system in your body called the endocannabinoid system. So it talks directly to CBD. And that system manages all your stress, pain, tension, mood, appetite, sleep. And that system tries to help you feel good, help you feel in balance all day, every day. So when you give your body more CBD that it already recognizes, and it's designed to look for and talk to, it can do that balancing job better, which is why a lot of people who take CBD daily or in a moment of stress or tension, or they're just looking to unwind after work, they feel that functionality. They feel that balancing and relaxation and kind of optimization on a personal level, however you might need it within like 10, 20 minutes. And that's kind of the magic of the whole CBD piece. You've got health and well-being and, and sort of long-term health and well-being, but this immediate functionality 
is like a total game changer for for so so many people and i think that's definitely part of the element of trips kind of astounding success is the product quality and that efficacy and, and the perfect serve but i lost my track so to get back to that we were blown away by what we were reading we were like okay well everyone seems to use this as a daily supplement for stress and anxiety i'm stressed and anxious i'm going to try it every day on my way to work on my commute see how it feels and it was amazing i was basically so much lighter you know dealing with working in a high growth tech startup you know the late nights the burnout the pressure it was really really helpful but back then we were really struggling with okay where do we buy this i want to put it in my weekly shop i don't want to go to a special funky store or funky website i want it to be branding that makes sense to me that was very dodgy stuff out there in terms of quality cost product and it didn't taste great in terms of what was available from a natural drops format so we realized okay, we've experienced this. It's helped all, well, so many different aspects of our personal life. The more we were reading about it, the more we were blown away by its sort of natural plant-powered benefits. We thought all our friends and family could benefit from something like this. And they face so many similar challenges that we do every day. But how do we make something beautiful and delicious and functional so that we could have it conveniently? Because there wasn't a product I could put on my work desk or have on my in my handbag without getting funny looks. And it wasn't available in a format that was like understandable. And we were like, everyone knew about this. It's like a secret power. If everybody knew about this, their lives would be amazing. Everyone would be less stressed. Everyone would be healthier, happier. How do we do this? We have to do something in the space. And yeah, a handful of months later, just three months later, we kind of had been reading, speaking to a few people. And we were just like, we have to do something here it's transformed our life it could transform so many people's lives and that's when we decided we were going to go in as newlyweds put our savings together and figure out how to do something in this space so Dan left his job first so that was three months after four months after the wedding so we committed together I kept my job which was technically full-time but I was like definitely you know weekends evenings any downtime on the laptop and from the moment we said we're going to figure something out. We knew it would always be a range of drinks and tinctures. So for us, tinctures, which is the little oil drops, if you've had them, it's kind of a stronger format of CBD. It's the most common format around the world. It's sort of slightly simpler to produce. It's kind of like rescue remedy in how it looks. So we knew we would for sure be doing something to cater to the existing demand. But Think of all the new people we could introduce with a beverage. You show someone a drink, they know what to do. They open the can, they drink from it, they pour it in a glass, everyone knows what to do. So we knew we'd definitely launch at least those. And we knew that we would be building something potentially wider as well as the science developed, because there weren't really any drinks in the UK. I think there was one or two that was coming out at similar times. Now there's sort of probably hundreds, but actually being one of the first, it was just about sort of from that moment when we said, let's figure out, let's do this. We launched the website seven months later. In month five out of seven, we didn't even have a name. I remember we went to an event and someone were like, oh, cool. We told them about the project. At the time it was a project. They were like, what's it going to be called? We were like, um, oh yeah. <laughs> and launching a website in the CBD space for anyone that knows anything about CBD, there's a ton of regulation. So actually you can't advertise, you can't put it on Google, you can't put it on Amazon. 
you can't get a payment processor, Shopify won't speak to you. So nobody came to the website. But what we also learned is that with a physical product, go where people are, physical products, don't always expect them to come to you. That's all changed now. But we actually managed to launch in Planet Organic as one of our first amazing partners straight away. And then soon after that, Selfridges and kind of when we got those two, I handed in my notice fully. Having initially asked for a secondment, actually, I thought conservatively, you know, not a secondment, what you call it, a sabbatical, quite common in, in law that you might sort of, after a few years of service, ask for a couple of months of unpaid leave, went in, like hyped myself up, pitched for this sabbatical. And then on walking out, actually said to my manager, as I sat down, I stood straight back up and said, I'm so sorry. Actually, as I've said that, it just feels wrong. I, I need to go fully. Like, this is me going fully, not not coming back. Love how bold you, you've, you've been, yeah. It sounds really bold, but it just didn't feel like that. And every time I do it, I'm confused and nervous. I don't feel like a bold person. I don't, it sounds so bold when you reflect, but it just, it's it just so, so much of it. And Dan and I's experience, we didn't even talk through it. It's not like, we were actually joking about that this week. It was his birthday and we were reflecting on the journey and people saying, you know, oh, did you go through a business plan and you had like, I don't know, Red Bull's deck and you thought we could do that better and, and like the size of the beverage market. We were like, literally, no plan, no business plan. That's actually really refreshing to hear on, on the podcast, to be honest with you, because it's a concept you're incredibly passionate about, you benefited from, you believed in, there's a strong purpose behind it. And then you've kind of, you've gone for it. And like, as you said, it's, it's rare. A lot of these things don't work, but actually you've tapped into a niche and then you've really lent into it. And then you've worked tirelessly to become very much a leader in the space. So you should be incredibly proud of that. And you really have created this, you know, something that five years ago was not a thing. You know, you're right at the forefront of this movement. What for you have been the standout moments on this journey so far or the milestones that you've hit that you've been most proud of? There are so many and you're so often in the thick of it that sometimes you don't even kind of realize you're in one until you look back to a conversation like this. And I mean, a milestone must have been developing the product or kind of deciding to leave. And these things just felt so kind of full body part of our life. And I guess we're spending so much time together. It's hard to kind of pull back and think that's a pole in the ground, I guess. So the chronology, seven months later, launched the brand you know, within a year, we're in like thousands of stockists. Well, the world shuts down. <laughs> we have the pandemic and, and that really shapes how we focus on online. And just, I think a lot with startups, there's certain things about the product quality has to be like absolutely unmatched, but also the way you speak to people. And I think the, the moment in time we were able to connect with people and resonate with people at a, at a time that really unified us. And it was definitely, while people say, surely lockdown was the worst thing ever, it was personally for a lot, a lot of us. But I guess to that failure question, like you can never know what opportunities it brought. You know, there was renewed focus on online deliveries and people wanted to consume healthier things. And everybody was obviously stressed and talking about their stress in a different way and hopefully in a way that was more open and, and honest. So all sorts of things. I mean, milestones, first store listing, turning the website on, getting no one to come, <laughs> launching into Selfridges a couple months later. We, we went into lockdown, so it was a little bit stop-start from, I guess, what a typical company team or office vibe might look like. So we had my brother-in-law join us um, and my sister-in-law as two of the first people like around our living room table. 
it was amazing. It was like so much fun, so much kind of crazy stories. People like Liberties of London, the beauty store, emailing us on our customer email, being like, how we'd like to stop the products, you know, stuff that you just can't, people think you must have known people, how did it happen? Just so much unexpected things. But now, you know, another milestone is hiring people outside of the company, which was a big moment to be able to kind of fund other people's payroll and career development. And that was a really big moment. Taking on our stunning office space in West London, we found a spot during COVID. We kind of walked past this empty building, you know, knocked on the window, found a mobile number, called it, like, please, can we use this? And, you know, these sorts of things for me, it's more the personal things rather than kind of commercial, being the number one CBD brand, being the fastest growing. That's, that is a huge one <laughs> for the whole team. But it's these little personal ones because it's such a story. It's so connected to like our relationship, our family, the whole families are involved in sort of different ways. And yeah, non-answer again for you. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love it. And I, frankly, I think the personal moments are sometimes more important in a way to you but of course for the team is huge uh huge kudos in in becoming the the market leader and stuff but actually i think the personal bit they're lovely to hear about on here because it's probably not what anyone else would necessarily think about i wouldn't be doing my job if i didn't ask you about the challenging parts or the biggest learning so far so so what about that side of things what's what's been the most difficult bit of the journey this one i feel having a co-founder my best friend my husband sharing any difficult decision making means nothing feels difficult he makes everything feel i mean i know it's really sickly super fun it feels like just this fun thing that we're doing the other flip side of that is obviously it's it's going so well and people message us every day we have this channel at work that we share customer messages where people write in and they say your product has changed my life so not just on a it's great to have an option at the bar but i mean like I had chronic anxiety. I was not sleeping. I'm now sleeping. I couldn't leave my house. I can now leave my house. I've given up smoking. I've given up drinking like crazy, amazing stuff. So that half of it is incredibly fulfilling and makes me want to get up every day and help more people. So that's kind of, I guess, the, the context. But the fun piece is everything together feels like an adventure and we're just having so much fun working with our best friends, our family. We've got incredible people in the team who are pioneering and innovative and excitable and want to be part of, you know, this once it's more than once in a decade brand that's part of their career trajectory now. And for us, that's definitely a huge part of it. In terms of challenges, I think the other thing I would say is that when you have a personal experience and a passion for something, that's on reflection, like incredibly, I can't imagine doing it without that, basically, because when you do a startup, you're the underdog. So thousands of people in a month or in a couple of months will tell you it can't be done, it's too expensive, it won't work, it's too niche. So you need to really believe that it can be done because you have to do the convincing 100 times and 99 people will say no, and one will say, mm, okay, well, it's super expensive. So do this, do that. And I think having that is a really big part of it. And I think for us specifically on the trip journey, like we did not have any experience for beverage or FMCG. And I think it's probably definitely, definitely a good thing that like the naivety of like, well, of course, this is going to work because we had this experience. So everyone's going to be confused about CBD, but learn about how great it is. Obviously, they're going to want it in a delicious format. Whereas actually later in the journey, having met more industry people, 
a ton of kind of naysayers, people still today who say, this is too niche. This is never going to work. It's like, we're the fastest growing soft drink in the UK. Like, we're going to become Coca-Cola Red Bull style mainstream. And that's incredible when we're talking about the nation's well-being and mental health. So I think for the challenges, there were loads. The thing about consumer goods is things go wrong. So that was one of the moments I can remember that I didn't feel as good. The only one I can remember, the first two weeks after I fully left, and I opened my laptop. We were actually traveling at the time. I opened my laptop to like do some emails. I was having a great time because like no one emailed me because no one, I wasn't emailing them. So I was just like, this is a very pleasant lifestyle. This is great so far. But when I did start to email people, what I learned in the first month that I then kind of completely moved away from is that like lawyer mindset. Emails were way too long. A friend of mine, thankfully, told me once and was like, he was in the industry and I asked him like kind of an adjacent industry and I asked him a question on email and I chased him a couple weeks later. Did you get a chance to check that thing? I would love to pick your brain about something. He was like, oh my gosh, it was the longest email ever. She didn't read it. You need to stop emailing like that. And I think lawyers do that a lot. So that was great learning. The other great learning about a challenge at the beginning is the point of the story is be adaptable. And if you can be adaptable in life, you are super attractive to any company. But I spent the first couple of months when we were pitching our first production partner who would like make the beverage in a factory and put the bubbles in it and put it in cans. My lawyer hat said, oh my gosh, liability risk, disaster. Something's going to go wrong. Let's have the contract watertight. And I was like, I can add value here. I know exactly what I'm doing. And it's really nice to know what you're doing sometimes. So since then, I've not had that feeling where you know what you're doing. But I was like, I know how to do this. I'm going to do it for us. I'm going to watertight this contract. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to be completely covered. How great is that? And then inevitably something goes wrong. In physical product, things spill, things get wasted, things aren't to spec. You know, I'm pulling up this contract that I'd spent like eight weeks negotiating and showing down my markup. And he's never seen like track changes and comment bubbles. I was like, this is what you do, how you kind of get to the best place for us. And after this thing had gone wrong and I pull up this contract and I say, well, this scenario has been perfectly figured out in this contract. And it, it shows that you manufacturer need to do X and, and I'm entitled to Y and we're going to fix it. Irrelevant. Couldn't be more irrelevant. They refused. They kind of denied to follow the contract or accept any liability. And we're there on a factory floor being like, well, I need the product. No one else in the country agreed to try and make it because they thought, you know, CBD would break their machines. And it was such a realization of like, lawyers sometimes can live in a bit of a bubble. And I lived in a world where rules were followed and emails were long and helpful and very systematic with beautiful formatting. And that was a real kind of realization of the challenge of just not always accepting what you've done before and learning that the real world works completely differently, especially in manufacturing or like consumer goods or like real things. So that was a funny one. But since then, <laughs> that was like the only one I can remember yet. No, that's super helpful. Thank you for sharing, Olivia. I think it's great for our listeners to hear some of the harder parts of the journey. I love what you've built. And I, I love the fact that it's helping many people, founders, young people, older people, just you, you talked about anxiety and, and mental health. And I think one thing that we've seen from, from recent data is that 
lots of 16 to 25 year olds are, are more likely to be teetotal and choose CBD drinks over alcohol. And I think that will also have an impact on hopefully future generations having better mental health and well-being. It brings me on to something I've heard you say in an interview that there's no true good health without good mental health, which is something that I love. I've talked a lot about my mental health and yeah, mental health is a, a recurring topic on this podcast because it's something that I think has been neglected in the startup world until relatively recently. And actually now we're seeing a lot of VCs put a lot of focus on founder resilience and supporting founders on their mental health journey, which is intrinsically linked, in my opinion, to, to success. So can you just share a little bit before we get to, to our wrap-up questions, just a little bit about your own mental health journey and what you do now to prioritize it, especially being a busy founder with lots of pressure, building a fantastic brand. Definitely. I think it's such an important conversation. A big part of the mission at Trip is to sort of empower people to feel more confident exploring those thoughts and being able to communicate them or have a conversation with themselves or with a friend about how they're really doing. And yeah, always keen to share more and talk more. I think in terms of my own journey, I've been so lucky to have an incredible support system very close to me. I think being on a fast growth founder journey as a sole founder or as a founder without anyone who knows exactly like my husband knows exactly how it is because we have the same values the same experiences the same love and kind of I guess skin in the game for this thing that we've made when we're thinking about any issue in the business and I think being so beautifully aligned with the other family members in the team as well like you're so aligned with why you're doing what you're doing that it's this incredible kind of north star that I guess is very calming. So in any sort of tricky decision, there's this kind of step back. Okay, why did we all do this? We're not doing it to feel rubbish or to kind of hit an arbitrary target. No one's putting that pressure on us. You know, this was about the journey as well as helping people. So let's make sure we're sort of caught to that. For me, when I mentioned good health, not being possible without good mental health, what I've learned particularly since the pandemic, where it was obviously a very condensed, very intense time, but a very condensed physical environment for a lot of us. You know, there was that time where we couldn't even walk more than a kilometer or something. So recognizing the importance of moving my body for my mental health um, was a real kind of wake up call to how your body and your mind are so closely connected. And I think having got older, as we all have over that period, like learning the impact of what you consume, what you eat, how that makes you feel, and your emotions being so connected as well to your mind was kind of the first time I'd slowed down enough to recognize that. Whereas in the pre-COVID days, especially when I didn't work at trip, it would be crazy long Monday at work, straight onto a dinner and drinks, get home on the last train, exhausted, get up to go to a gym class before work the next day. And you didn't have time to often dwell on how you were feeling truthfully. So a lot of kind of bigger conversations or reflections were parked. And for me, COVID was definitely the first time that <laughs> there was nothing to feel or look at except yourself and how you felt. And that was a big learning to realize how important what we consume digitally, physically, nutritionally, emotionally, and in your relationships, so, so important. So yeah, we're really keen to kind of encourage everyone to have that more holistic approach to how they feel. And it's the key thing I think that we talk about at trip internally but hopefully as a brand as well there's definitely no one size fits all there's obviously great principles of nutrition walk move your body that always helps absolutely every time but there's no one size fits all and it's going to be different different days of the week that's why with trip as well it might be 
you know, you're grabbing one at lunch on a Monday to help you feel less stressed and more productive. But tomorrow night you're mixing it with tequila when you're in a bar and choosing a trip cocktail. Like that's fine. You don't, you don't have to be one way every day or the same every week. And I think that's a really important part of the discussion about mental health. It's like very much a conversation, ebbs and flows, starts and stops, sections of monologue, sections where you just want to be silent. And I think recognizing that it's not like, oh, I did the 30-day cleanse and I did all the meditations and now I'm good. That's not how it is. It's a muscle. So true. Thank you so much for sharing that, Olivia. It's, it's, I think it's really important to talk about this more and it's great to hear founders like yourself being so open and vulnerable about these things and, and sharing some really really helpful advice so thank you we're about to come to our wrap-up questions just finally i know you've got a lot of exciting things in store for the rest of 2023 so all of those people listening that are big fans of, of trip what can they look forward to for the rest of the year and beyond oh my gosh so many things i'm trying to think what i'm allowed to talk about i guess lots of continued growth. So we'll be hiring a lot more people. I think it's so incredible to have this momentum to get to kind of invest in people. And what I mentioned, I think at the beginning of the call in terms of like, people have never done this job before and to have people on the team who are rock stars, who are excited by the fact that no one's done this before and we want to be the best at whatever this is, like that's really exciting to me as well as new launches. So quite unusual for a consumer brand, particularly a beverage brand, actually like half our business is online. So even though we're the fastest growing soft drinks brand and sort of traditional retail and grocery, actually drinktrip.com is a huge part of the business and it's where we're able to share kind of exclusive drops. So we've done some really cool things, collaborations, partnerships. Um, we had one with Calm, the meditation app. So for everyone on our online store, you get a free Calm membership with your trip drinks purchase, which I think is amazing, but lots of sort of exclusive and new drops coming in through there. For the rest of the team, focus on international. We just got back from LA and kind of working on the business there, which is really incredible. And being able to continue kind of growing it globally is very exciting. Yeah, that's what we're kind of focused on. Super exciting. Well, I'm wishing you all the very best with all those exciting things. To our final three wrap-up questions. So in one sentence, what does the future hold for Trip? Trip is here to help you create moments of calm in your everyday chaos, whatever that looks like for you. In the future, we will be available wherever you might need us in any format that you want to reach for. So we'll be coming closer to you wherever you might need us, whether you're on a high street, in an office building, in your car, in your Uber, you'll be able to get Trips. Yeah, amazing. And if you could be mentored by anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? I'm going to go for the mentor I have at the moment. My husband is so incredible. He's like the most amazing coach, cheerleader, partner in the truest sense of the word, best friend, fun, party starter. Just have such gratitude for <laughs> him and how we've built this together in this very unexpected way. I actually can't, I mean, definitely need him on the bench. Don't know if I'd have anyone else, but I'd say I'm, I'm very, very lucky. And huge, huge part of all trip success is, is, is down to his collaboration, his support, his vision. So I'm, yeah, 
I know sickly, but I, I should give a shout out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, lovely answer. No, I, I, I feel very, very similar about my wife too. And finally, what's the best piece of advice that you've received that you would like to pay forward to our listeners today? As a woman, particularly in an industry with not a load of women and working in a field which is considered quite novel and niche, though it doesn't need to be because it's going to help people, I would say a no is never a no. It is a lesson I learned at the very beginning of trip as I kind of moved away from the legal career where you say no, it is a no. and The law is pretty black and white, generally speaking, but people will tell you it cannot be done. And pretty much anything can be done other than like rocket science DNA researchy stuff, like bigger stuff like that. But anything probably you and I might be dealing with or thinking about day to day, there is a way to do it. And it's not rocket science. And people love to make you think it is, but we're constantly shown otherwise. It's just one step, then another step. And, and one of those steps could be a failure in inverted commas, but you come back with a revised step that's even better than the one before the failure so a no is not a no don't let anyone tell you it can't be done because it constantly is being shown that it can be done what a fantastic place to leave it olivia thank you so much i've really enjoyed our conversation there's tons of actionable actionable mentorship in there for our listeners and uh, you know I, I really do wish you and the, the trip team all the very best for the years ahead because i think what you're doing is super important and yeah, I'm really glad you got to share your story today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today's episode. I loved chatting to Olivia and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. If so, then don't forget to subscribe on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're feeling extra generous today, then we would be super grateful if you could leave us a written review on your favorite podcast platform or at ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm. It really helps us to reach more and more people and spread the power of mentorship further. Thanks so much for your support. And as always, if there's anything that I or the rest of the JBM team can do to help you, please don't hesitate to get in touch on info at jbmc.co.uk. Have a great rest of the week and I'll see you again next week for even more mentorship. Mentorship.